If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to John, John's Gospel, um, chapter 13. And I'm going to read the first seventeen verses of that, which says this Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, which is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Okay, I, I, I've got a, a, a sort of a two-pronged task tonight. If a task has prongs, I'm not sure it does. But um, I have a task with two elements. One is to preach the word. And the other is to tell you, uh, by way of communication, about something we are doing as a church. And the thing we are doing as a church, as St. Paul's, is to plant out from um, the middle of December onwards into another church up in Harrow. So the relevance of that to to people here may be mixed. Some of you will be... um, uh, died on the wall St. Paulites and you'll want to know about this if only to pray about it and support it some of you will be visitors um, so I'm praying that, that you will get from that what the Lord is saying to you in your life not just hearing what I have to say about um, what I'm going to be doing um, in, in, a, in two months time um, I was reflecting on it uh, this afternoon actually because it, it, it represents the fulfilment of a life's journey, what well, fulfilment so far for me, which when I set out 
to do it, I said to God, I don't really care how long this takes, prepare me. And he said, well, it may be a bit like Jacob and Laban, which is a reference to Genesis 29, where Jacob worked seven years for a wife, then was tricked and had to work another seven years to get the wife he really wanted. And I've just realized that this, from the day I came to St. Paul's to the day I take over at St. John's Greenhill, which is this new church we're planting out into, is 14 years. So that that word was almost uh, precisely correct. And sometimes, you know, there is something in your life where God wants you to do by way of service, but he needs to do a lot of preparation in you to get you to do it. And maybe some of that will come out in what I have to say. I want that picture just to stay up there for a minute because this is the picture I have, and I shared it with the morning congregations today, about why we're doing what we're doing. When Jesus sent his disciples out in Luke 9, he gave them power and authority. Power and authority uh, to cast out demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to be apostles and carriers of his, of his gospel. What he does in John 13 is demonstrate what power and authority in the kingdom of God look like. And I want to unpack that in the context of what we're going to go and do in Harrow. If you look back at the passage, um, in verse 3, Jesus says, or, or John writes this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that had come that he had. Sorry, he had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and re- returned to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. The way that John writes that is telling. If you write the word so as a link between two sentences, it's a bit like writing the word therefore. In other words, the second bit follows from the first. So God had given Jesus all power and authority, so he washed their feet. Because God had given him power and authority, he behaved as an utter servant towards those that he taught and had nurtured and discipled. That is totally upside down to the world's way of thinking. Completely reverse of what we would associate with power and authority. We would associate power and authority with having somebody wash your feet because you'd ask them or tell them to do it. So I just want to bring out a few points from that passage and then very quickly zoom through how that relates to the mission. Jesus wanted to show his disciples the power of humility. Power and humility sound like polar opposites. But we know even from from ordinary human beings who demonstrated that humility actually carries a long-lasting, pervasive power that mere brute force doesn't have. In Philippians 2, 
says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what Paul means there is, of all the deaths that you could die, that was the worst, because it was the death of a criminal. Jesus wants to demonstrate that in the kingdom, humility is strength. Humility is a reflection of the character of God, and therefore brings the power of God into a given situation. Secondly, Jesus wanted to show his disciples the full extent of his love. Fully loving one another means serving one another humbly, just as Jesus did when he washed their feet. Because that is what a lowly servant would normally have done, not the honoured guest. If you're walking around uh, Palestine or anywhere similar to that, and you're doing it 2,000 years ago, you probably don't have very good shoes on, because no one's invented them yet, right? And whether it's dry or whether it's wet, your feet are probably very, very dirty. And because you've been doing this for years, your feet are probably not very attractive. Right? So washing them is unpleasant for somebody. It's not just humble, it isn't very nice. I don't know when the sock was invented, but it's after this. So this is actually an unpleasant job, so it's given to someone lowly and of no um, importance. And Jesus kind of strips himself of dignity, wraps a towel around his waist, washes their feet, and then uses the very towel that is his only um, form of clothing to dry them with. And then he says this, this is the third point, that Jesus did it to be an example for us to follow. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And we can take that very literally and take all the power out of it and once a year on Maundy Thursday do a foot washing service, which is very lovely and very moving. But really, you know, this is about what that picture, that that bronze statue is trying to encapsulate is a worldview. It's an attitude of heart. It's something to take into every situation. That is a Monday morning attitude, not just a Maundy Thursday attitude. You know, because foot service is the antidote to lip service, isn't it? If you're of a mind and of a determination to do that. What you're saying is, I want to turn what I think I believe into reality. I actually want to go and do it, even though it may be humiliating and possibly smelly. Who knows? It won't always be smelly. Foot service is the antidote to lip service. Lip service is what we've come to call disparagingly as religion or religiosity where there's a bunch of truisms which actually never quite find their way to the end of our fingers. 
And finally, Jesus did it to foreshadow the ultimate expression of his love and humility. And that was his death on the cross. Um, it says that, it's in Hebrews, isn't it? Um, he became sin for us. Which is, which is a really powerful phrase. Now, he didn't just bear a penalty. He became sin. That is about as degrading as a holy God can get. And something that is not, I don't think, often preached about. So when I, um, as I eventually will, talk about Harrow and planting out from here into a new church, it's that spirit that I want to talk about. Not the spirit of we do everything well and we want to come and show you what's what. But the spirit that says we have been given much and we want to come and metaphorically, I hope, wash your feet and see what God will then do. So just by way of information, a few just bits of information so you know what I'm talking about. This is where the church is. You probably already know London well enough, most of you. Uh, Harrow is up in the northwest of, of, the, of the metropolitan area of London. Um, and this church is in the ward or the parish of Greenhill, which borders Harrow on the Hill. Harrow on the Hill is one of the poshest parts of the country. Greenhill is not. Um, I often liken this to a moat in Bailey Castle, where the, the lord of the manor lives in Harrow on the Hill, everyone else lives in Greenhill. You know, it's that kind of peasant relationship. But in that ward, in that parish, in that um, what is actually quite a deprived place relative to the affluence of everywhere else, there is going to be for us, for me, a massive opportunity to serve, which I will quickly outline for you. Let's have a quick look at the church. It doesn't really say right. It's a church, okay? It looks like a church. I hope that's helpful. Um, it actually looks exactly like this church. That could be taken from across the road, couldn't it? But it's not. It's a different church. Um, next one, this is the language of church that we're talking about, which is what this place looked like about 25 years ago, or maybe even 20 years ago. Um, and, and clearly that has a certain statement about it, which um, possibly isn't 21st century. I'm hesitating about using the word possibly there. It, it's sort of... Definitely not. And this is what the outside looks like. If you look a bit a bit closer, um, do you want to move on, Polly? That one. Now, what does that say to you about a church? Um, that will have my name written. Well, not on that notice board. Ever my dead body. Um, if, if I have to, if I have to go and buy one myself, which I probably will. Um, it's not going on that lump of wood. It's not even a solid lump of wood. I'm, I'm saying it just to say that those aspects you've already seen are already a service opportunity for a thriving church that has made the transition from one age to another. Even in something simple like branding and look and feel, we have the opportunity to wash these people's feet. Okay, it is a bit of a laugh. I don't mean to mock them. It just is very telling, isn't it, what it looks like. But there are things like um, the website, the church brand, the notice boards, and there are two of them, um, what the welcome looks like, and so on. 
which have simply been allowed to carry on in a certain way because no one has really shown them what a new way of doing it can be. And that's my attitude. Not to, not to condemn them or, or say this is all rubbish, simply to show them what can be done with very, very simple changes. And that, I see, is a foot-washing opportunity, just to bring skills. And I know there are, there are people here who do this really, really well, well, I'm going to kind of tap up and ask and say, let's rebrand this church. Just make it speak a different language in the way, even it's, even it's note paper. You wouldn't believe it. It's like, like the civil service, you know. Um, everything, let's just do that. There are skills here that people can give that would do that. And then we can simply transform the way the church is, even just on a Sunday, just, just how it goes about its, its daily business. But of course, this church exists in a context. And the context is a high street. So if we can have the next one, Polly, that thing sticking up there in the right-hand side actually is a lamppost. But behind it is the church. You can just see it there. And right opposite the church is Debenhams, and that's because... The front door of the church goes right onto a high street. And walking past this church are hundreds and thousands of people who come to that center part of the urban area to work. They may not live there. In fact, most of them don't. But they spend more time there than residents do. Just as you do when you commute to work. You you spend 8 to 10, maybe 12 hours somewhere... And then when you come home, most of the time you spend there, you're asleep. So most of your life is actually there in your workplace. I want to watch, I want to wash those people's feet. The shoppers, the office workers, the council workers, uh, people who run the cafes. And there's an opportunity there for us to bring daytime ministry, worship expression, teaching, Outreach, Alpha, what you name it, I mean, it's an, it's an endless list of opportunity to serve the people from what we have just by inviting them in off the street because they're walking by. I'm not naive about this. I don't think that they'll be queuing up down the street to come and, you know, hear what I have to say or what we have to do. But it does say, doesn't it, Jesus, he, anyone accepts you accepts me go out and you, you extend the invitation. And I would love to see a church timetable that's like a, you know, just, just, just coffee and chat on a Monday, maybe a contemporary worship service on a Tuesday, um, a drop-in centre on a Wednesday, a classical music concert on a Thursday, a traditional Eucharist on a Friday. With some of these things they already do. But constantly opening the church to serve the community Monday to Friday and somewhere in there... I'll get a day off. <clears throat> then there's another community, which is this one. It's just right outside the door. Right outside the door. If, if this was the church, it would be there. Just in that corner. Right outside the door. Is a memorial garden with a war memorial in the middle and an array of benches in a, in a kind of circle or hexagon or something around them. And you know what happens if you put a bench somewhere, what happens? Somebody sits on it, right? And it becomes a congregating area, doesn't it? There's nothing you can do about it. It's like, 
um, you know, jam and flies or whatever. And people come, and because it's a relatively green spot in, a, in, a, in an urban setting, those that have fallen out of the system, those that are not in work, those that have come and found themselves um, in trouble, gather there. <coughs> and there is a ready-made community to, to reach out and make Matthew 25 a reality. You know, if you offer a glass of water to someone in my name, you do it unto me. I um, first went there, we, we started talking about it, I think it was in May, if my memory serves me correctly, and I thought, well, what I'd better do is, is go up there and have a quick recce of it, so at least I've clapped eyes on it. And I cycled up there on a Friday, and um, parked my bike, and, and immediately walked in, and there was this man, and I think that's him, if he turned around I could tell you, but I think it's him. And if it is him, his name is Patrick. And I sat down for half an hour and talked with Patrick. And um, I found out who he was, what he was doing. He had had a job in, um, I think, Northwick Park Hospital. He'd been a porter. He'd also worked at Heathrow. But all of that had ended, and he was now jobless, along with many other people, of course. All his family um, are in Sri Lanka, and he's working to send money back to them. But now it had all gone a bit, you know, peak tongue, as they say, a bit wrong. And he had nowhere else to go but to congregate around this nice area where there, were, there was occasionally other people, but at least it was green. The next day, Jill and I drove up in the car to have another look. And Patrick was in the middle of the road, directing the traffic, you know, out of his head, basically. So the first day I went there and blessed him, the second day I nearly ran him over. And I've often seen him up there, the times I've been there, he's kind of like a regular. But there's a whole community there that's saying, come and wash my feet, come and serve me. And this church here at St. Paul's, is rich in generosity towards the poor, but they happen not to be physically here. They tend not to be right on our doorstep. But we have mechanisms and agencies and structures that channel God's love into people's lives. Things like Beeson, where we um, relocate uh, people's property to, um, if you've got a sofa or a cooker or a fridge or something that you no longer want, Beeson will take it off you and give it to someone who needs it, who's poor and unable to afford their own. Now we as a church can expand that kind of ministry quite easily and apply it to people like him. So that's part of the vision of what we're going to do, is to take what we've got, not just our, our um, talents and possessions, but the structures that we've been able to build because we have a heart for the poor even if we're not a church of the poor because they don't live here. And St. John's will become an expression of St. Paul's, of Paul's generosity in a different way. Let me come into land. Um, I'll leave that picture up there because that, that sort of says it all really. We want to go and serve because Jesus has said, I've 
set you an example to follow. And this is my definition of power and authority. And through that, God's blessing flows and you see fruit. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? When we think about power and authority, we think really what we've got to go and do is do two people. And the example that Jesus gave was to go and do four people. And when we do that, something happens. The spirit is, is, is active. And those hard hearts get opened. Not everyone. Now, if, it, if it was everyone, Jesus would not have said, sometimes you're going to have to shake the dust off your feet because you won't be accepted. But many people will not react like that. They will react with an expression of, I want to know more about what you are, why you are this way as Christians. What is it about your God that I need? I'm not expecting to take, you know, 150 people out of this church to go with me. But there is an invitation for any that are interested who want to do it. Um, But I do want to take the DNA of this church with me, which is a DNA of growth, a DNA of generosity and love and of welcome, of inclusion, and a DNA of service, of wanting to make our lives an offering to God through the service to others, giving of our great plenty to bless them and bring the gospel to them. Um, A spirit of welcome, a spirit of inclusion, and a spirit of fun as well into that into that place that life can become a joy I like, like to think that we can bring light into a dark place so let me let me finish there we, we're going to have um, a time of worship and a time of uh, communion I think is that right that's what these candles will be for let's stand And I just want to pray over you that the example that Jesus gave, gave you, gave me in that text, will imprint itself on your heart. Whether that's here, whether it's Harrow, whether it's... Imperial College or UWL or wherever you are, wherever is your territory, your patch, Jesus wants you to be a foot washer in your context. And that ain't easy to do unless the Spirit of God is moving in you. So let's pray. Father, we know we would confess, Lord, that when we get up in the morning, so often our thoughts are for ourselves and for the challenges we have. Simply pray for everyone here, for every head bowed, that your spirit will come and change our character so that each day when we get up, we count the blessings that we have and look to impart them to someone else this week. That in our prayers, our first prayer is for opportunity not for provision. Father, as we worship, just pray that you will cement that in our hearts and may it find its way to our feet and hands tomorrow when we go into the workplace or wherever we go. 
Amen.